when I came to Canada, imagine this, I'm in my twenties, late twenties. I'm the CEO of this coffee company. I quadrupled that company in 40 years. I'm having like yeah, multi-million dollar deals. I'm truly representing these brands, big results, right? I'm saying like, you know what, I'm going to Canada because bigger and better for sure. The grass is always greener on that side. Definitely I'm going there. I was so proud, cocky. And then after months of rejections and zero results and nothing happening, I started to doubt myself so much. Something is not clicking. Something is not working. I must be broken. There is something wrong with me. And that created just like this cycle of like self-doubt, depression, and what should I do? And the reason that I said, I'm not going back to Mexico until I figure this out because I'm not going back to showcase that I was not able to make it in Canada. Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of Intercultural Insiders. My name is John McGraw, and I help newcomers, expats, and businesses connect across cultures to succeed in less time and pain. I am the founder of Hyaku Coaching, which is dedicated to helping you create your pathway to success in a new culture. The purpose of Intercultural Insiders is to share the stories of people with intercultural experiences. So if you're feeling isolated or lost, you can hear something from the guests' experiences that could help you, even if it's just a reminder that you're not alone. Today is part one of a two-part conversation with Miguel Abascal, the founder of Thrive Faster and the podcast Newcomers on Fire, amongst a number of other organizations. Miguel's journey from being a top executive in Mexico to starting from scratch in Canada is nothing short of inspiring. Some of the things that we talk about include adapting to a new culture, and what Miguel had to do uh, to adjust from what he was used to in Mexico to communicating in Canada and talking about the power of effective communication. And he shares his struggles with adapting to the Canadian communication style and emphasizes the importance of concise and powerful questions and seeking candid feedback. Also, identity and vulnerability and how Miguel faced an identity crisis and had to redefine his sense of self. And also, we talk a fair bit about the role of mentorship. And Miguel shares his experience with mentoring and how it has positively impacted his life. So, without further wait, let's get into part one of the discussion with Miguel Abascal. Miguel, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. I'm a senior project manager. I work for one of the big banks here in Canada. And my story as a newcomer was quite interesting because I'm originally from Mexico City, where I used to be the CEO of a coffee company. I've had international experience. I traveled the world. I did a lot of certifications, master's degree, you name it. 
So when I thought that I was going to come to Canada and I said, you know what, I think it's just copy paste of what I have done. So definitely to my surprise, it took me five years to find a job in my profession and enter the old job in my profession. And since then, I can tell you like fast forward, my first years were not that great. Usually my years of nightmares, but today I'm living my Canadian dream thanks to mentoring and thanks to connecting with people. And I'm also paying it forward and helping people to do the same. So that's a little bit about me. That's a great summary of your experiences from coming to Canada to where you are now. Let's go back and let's go a little more detail because you mentioned how you had to start over. You initially thought it would be just a copy paste situation, as you said, and then they found out that it was quite different. What else can you tell us about that and about your experiences? Maybe I can use another analogy. I would say that my success in Mexico, it was like me being a fisherman. I can tell you like, yeah, I, I fish good. I felt like experience all good. So I thought that being a fisherman from, let's say Atlantic, coming here to Canada and trying to do what I was doing, it did not resonate that well because everything changed. And now that I do fishing sometimes here in Ontario, and it's quite different from Mexico, actually, it's completely different. It's like, it's a, a completely different thing. So that is why every time it says, okay, I need to learn and understand again everything just from scratch. So just to give you a, a very concrete example, talking about intercultural experiences. When I came to Canada, one of the things that I used to do unconsciously, it's to kiss people. It's very normal that in Mexico you kiss everyone. And sometimes one or two times in a trip. And not only kiss, but also other people. And it was very interesting that here in Canada, some people will feel weird about it. And it's like, okay, what's happening? I don't tell somebody just pushing away. And you know what? I do not appreciate that. And it was like, wow, I did something wrong. What's happening? So even the basics and the things that were unconscious to me, I had to relearn them. So that is why I think it took me a long time to figure out things, to be honest. What really stands out to me is that it took a while before someone actually spoke to you about it. And prior to that, people were just going along with it and not saying anything. I think in Canada, because we have a tendency where we don't want to upset other people, that sometimes even if we feel uncomfortable with something, we might not speak up about it. But unfortunately, it still ends up being a case where there might be some judgment. And speaking as someone who's been down to Latin America myself, to Argentina, which has a somewhat similar way of greeting people. It would be nice to be a little bit warmer sometimes. Especially, so. I think what is incredible is that to do it is rude and not to do it is rude. So how you compute that in your mind? So you, you pretty much need to like erase how you were raised and how you were educated and said, okay, now I need to completely change that perspective because there are so many different cultures that cannot touch them. Only the significant other can touch them. And my experience of learning these kind of things was just like walking on a mine, on a bomb, and sometimes even stepping on somebody's toes. And I noticed that discomfort, and I was like, oh, what happened? Right? It's rude not to say hello this way in Mexico, so I just want to understand. But And that was just one out of thousands of different things that happened. So we can talk about this for hours, John. As you said, there was a lot of trial and error, but did you start to develop a bit of a process of learning these things as time went on? I think the reason it took me this long was because I was just doing everything and experimenting. And in my mind, I think somebody told me, just go and explore and talk with other cultures to learn faster. But I think if I could have the chance to give some advice to myself, I would say, no, go back to people that are from Mexico and ask this question, what should I not do as Mexican? 
And then they can tell you, you know, I don't call it and kiss and all of the other things that, that go along with that. And, and potentially with that, they can help me to, to understand it better. My, my suggestion would be to, to yes, explore and go to other cultures, but at the same time, go back to your culturally group and ask the question about me. What can I do to speed my process? What can I do to do different, to do things differently? Because I've been noticing that I've been upsetting people. And essentially with that, it will give me a, a checklist of all the things like, hey, you, you know what? If you are sick, don't go to the office. But here, here, by the way, I went to the office and my manager was like, what are you doing here? I was very proud. I'm here because I'm responsible and loyal. I'm here to show you how much I care. And the manager was very angry with me because he's like, you are here sick. You are going to make everybody sick. Now, everybody is going to miss one or two days from work. That is very irresponsible. Miguel. You should go home right now. And I was like, wow, what just happened again? So again, I'm asking those questions, very powerful questions to the people that I feel comfortable and safe to share these kind of things. And also to first understand and talk with others in a very curious way. You know what? I noticed I upset you. I'm not sure why. Can you just explain a little bit more? And then with that, opening the doors for them to provide me some candid feedback. That's a great way to look at it, to take that approach, I think, of being humble enough to ask questions. One thing that I do when I'm working with newcomers is rather than trying to put out a whole list of what to do or what not to do, is try to boil it down to some general principles of things to keep in mind when it comes to working and interacting with Canadians. and then. Using those principles, it helps people to think about the way they might behave in certain situations. One of the things in particular being about time. Now, of course, we focused on the idea that time is being punctual or so on. But it's not just that. Time also affects how we communicate with each other. When we're sending emails, when we're talking with each other, a lot of the focus is on the, what we consider the most essential information. We're generally not looking for a full detailed explanation like it might be more common in other cultures because you want to give a sense of the whole story. Here it's just, okay, what's most important to me? Just give me the bullet points, right? When you have that principle about time, then you can start to connect it to some of these other things as well. But that's how I approach it when I'm trying to explain Canadian culture. That is a great mythology because I remember for the first six or nine months, I was writing as you would write in Mexico, which has a lot of pleasantries. So for example, it starts with dearest, and then Mr. Smithy has been a pleasure to have been knowing you over the last three or four weeks. And, and then a paragraph of like how amazing it is to be in contact or connection with that person. And then after that, an introduction of why I decided to write the email. Probably two or three paragraphs after, I would be asking some. So that was my approach because that's the normal approach. That's how politicians, diplomatic, everybody makes that I had experience with, we do it. Of course, here people were like, what do you want? It's so confusing. I can't understand your emails. And what do you mean? I'm being very polite. I'm giving you the utmost respect. Like I, I know how to know. And today, 13 years later, I cannot handle that kind of communication anymore. I, I, I have become between a Canadian and a Mexican or more, maybe more into the Canadian, uh, the North American way of just tell me why you went to that point. Just tell me what you went in one line, maybe explain me the rationale in the second line. And if I need it, I will ask you questions. Do not spend time in the context, which we do. And we go chronological. So, oh boy, there is so much to write here. There's some communications around. That is, it's incredible. You mentioned a very interesting point. 
that you feel that now you're somewhere in between being a Canadian, being a Mexican, and maybe leaning a little more towards the, the Canadian side of things. And in some ways I struggled with in Japan, and I know many people when they come to another culture struggle with, is that sense of identity. When I adapt, how much do I lose myself? I, I think it, it's essential that there is going to be some amount of change. And I think that adapting to another culture is a, is a type of growth. But there is also that concern about, do I lose my identity? Do I lose my identity as a Canadian or my identity as, as a Mexican? And I'd like to hear a little bit more about your, your own personal thoughts and feelings about that. Yeah. Oh, oh boy, that topic. It's my favorite because uh, when I came to Canada, imagine this, I'm in my 20s, late 20s. I'm the CEO of this coffee company. I quadrupled that company in 40 years. I'm having like yeah, multi-million dollar deals. I'm truly representing these brands. Big results, right? I'm saying like, you know what? I'm going to Canada because bigger and better for sure. The grass is always greener on that side. Definitely I'm going there. When I came to Canada, my first thought was, oh, Canada is so lucky to have me. Where is the prime minister? I'm going to talk him one or two things on how to run this country. I was so proud, cocky. And then after months of rejections and zero results and nothing happening, I started to doubt myself so much. I never experienced any mental health issues before because everything was great in my life. Until this new change, until this new feelings of, okay, something is not clicking, something is not working. I must be broken. There is something wrong with me. And that created just like this cycle of like self-doubt, depression, what should I do, frustration, anxiety. I can tell you that I completely had an identity crisis. Who am I? I am not any longer that successful executive. And here, I don't know who I am. I'm working at importance, I'm working in construction jobs, I'm working in cleaning, like all of these survival jobs, which I learned a lot and I really appreciate them because they taught me so much. But I was not expecting that. I was completely on a different mindset. So I did that for so long that I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And the reason that I say I'm not going back to Mexico until I figure this out because I'm not going back showcase that I was not able to make it in Canada. I made my pride talking, to be honest. So thanks to that, I just stick with it and I'm going to figure out things. I'm going to figure out things. And I just try it by myself. The reason to me is long is because vulnerability, which is another cultural concept, is at Mexican, you don't wash your dirty laundry in public. So that's something that kind of is ingrained in our brains. Okay, hey, you have issues? Don't say anything. Just swallow them and keep moving. Everybody is asking you, how are you? I'm doing great. Oh, never better. Incredible. Even though inside you're almost like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent tonight or something like that. So that's the thing I had to learn. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know though. I actually am struggling and I don't know what's happening. It's okay to, to give time to yourself to heal and to go through that process. So talking about identity. Oh, yes, definitely. I have an identity I had to reinvent myself again. Again, I had to say, okay, what is success to me? What is important in my life? Right? If I die today, what would be my eulogy? So all of those elements, and then at the end, I, had, I put together like my Frankenstein of an identity of some concepts of Mexico, some concepts of Canada, and then emerging to, okay, I'm going to try once more. And that's when I discovered the power of mentoring. And I started to get in contact with amazing people called mentors, which changed my life. Like I, I had one mentor and then I got addicted. I have multiple mentors. 
Today, I have mentors for everything. It's incredible. Like, and I strongly recommend everyone listening or watching to have multiple mentors or on any given topic. One of my biggest passions was to become a beekeeper. And I did. I did become a beekeeper. And I had three mentors about that. And another thing I wanted to learn was how to be a great parent. Guess what? Another five mentors about how to be a dad and the different perspectives, different things. So any topic that you care with mentor, mentorship, coaching really helps. Just speed up the process. So my recommendation is do not waste time on trial and error. I think that's to 1880s or 1980s, which is like long time ago before the internet. So just focus on, okay, how can I make things faster? Approach people like John, just teach me and share with me what should I just do to accelerate this process. If we're focusing on newcomers or anyone who's facing a challenge or difficult situation, how, how would you recommend that they go about finding mentors. Maybe we can focus on specifically just adapting to life in Canada. I love that question. I think that first of all, let's try to define what is a mentor. Because for me, a mentor used to be a person that is very senior, knows a lot. They have everything figured out, super successful. That's why within that definition, I would never consider myself a mentor. So I was like, no, you know what? Five years working in survival jobs. Actually, I'm, I'm like big failure. So definitely I'm, I'm no mentor material, no? That everything changed when I went to a networking event and two people from Colombia told me, Miguel, in the last 20 minutes, you have shared with us and we have learned so much from you than the last two years in Canada. Would you like to be my mentor? And I was like, mentor? Like me, a mentor? And, and that mental shift was something that opened up like so many different opportunities. I, I created an organization outside of that in terms of helping people and mentoring people. But I... Once you understand that mentoring is not something mysterious or mythical, it's something that's simple. Everybody knows something more about something than the other person. Maybe you are one chapter ahead, maybe you are one book ahead of the other person. And with that little thing, you can be a mentor of somebody. You can share, you can talk, you can express your opinion about that topic. And in my books, now that I've been doing mentoring for so long, and that I've been putting together mentorship relationships, like for many years, hundreds of them, within my organization that I have and also at work, I can tell you that the qualities and the characteristics of a great mentor are just, it's, it's just simple one, to be honest. It's a person that has the ability to care and care a lot about you, about your well-being, about your future. I, I always thought it was the experience, it's the background, it's the certifications, it's the big resume. And I've seen it in action when I match and I tell people like great resumes. And then at the end it's like, oh, it's nice mentorship relationship. And when I merge people that are not that great in the resume, but they do care as a human being, they do care for the other. Those relationships go to the next level. They become like life, like uh, friendships for life, like a really good professional friendship. So again, once we define what is a mentor, I can tell you a mentor is a person that cares. A mentor is a person that you can call in the future a friend, a person that you can invite home. So that kind of like relationship. And how can you approach them? Or how can you look for those? Just uh, reach out on LinkedIn or in a networking event and say, you know what? I noticed that you have a lot of experience in this topic or in this situation. I'm currently facing a similar dilemma or similar decision point that you have. Would you just please uh, give me some pointers to connect with your brain? Would you be open to meet with me for a 20-minute coffee meeting? And with that first meeting, okay, great advice. Thanks so much for changing my life. I'm excited to but it's like, being passionate and enthusiastic about that. And I say, would you be open if I contact you within like every water thing on just 
pick up your brain or ask you for more advice because what you need today, it really helped me a lot. And I think this is very valuable. So just keeping up meeting with that people, with that person. At first, they may not be formally your mentors, but with time, they become your mentors, your coach, your friends. Don't focus on the label. Just focus on the relationship. Focus on providing value. And the other thing too is to provide and to grow relationships fast and to provide these, to grow these mentorship relationships to provide value because they might be telling you something. They might be helping you with something, but you are also helping them with something. You're also teaching them something. And people are always, and this is one of the most frequent asked questions that I get. How can I provide value? How can I provide something to the person that I'm meeting, to the executive? Like they already have everything. They have the connections, they have the job they want, they have everything, right? Yes and no. They do not have your perspective. They do not have your uniqueness. So how you can provide value. A, a very simple example I can, I can tell you. I went to Mexico to visit my family. I was mentoring this person. And then this person called me over the phone and said, Miguel, I just noticed that where you live, you just received three foot of snow and you're coming two days back from your trip. Would it be okay if I go to your house you know, to shovel your driveway so you can park in, in your driveway and not spending two hours after the plane and all of that, just like trying to get to your house. And I always tell this story because this story is amazing. It's like this person is telling me that he cares so much for me and my family and my being that he's willing to do that, travel almost two hours because he didn't have a car and get just to do that. No? So for me, they were like, wow, this person cares so much. Therefore, I'm going to care so much. And since then, we have been best friends. Again, how do you find a mentor? Find a friend. There is a great book, by the way, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I strongly recommend That's the book that I recommend the most. So that will help you pretty much build this connection. And then there is another one, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. Networking is one of my topics that we can talk for hours, but again, John, maybe just those two points to get those connections as mentorship relationships. As you said, you were offering something to someone else. And I think that's especially important for younger people who may not have much experience in the way of, of work experience and feel that they don't have much to offer, there may be something that you can offer if you just give it a little bit of crazy. thought. What is crazy about this story is that I told that friend, thank you so much for the offer. Not me, I just watched all the cameras. My neighbors did it. So thank you again for that. No? But it was the intention. So even though he didn't have to do it, it was the intention. So it's crazy of that. That was part one of the conversation with Miguel. That example at the very end about what you can offer someone else is very simple. As I even mentioned in the conversation, so many young people or newcomers who are looking for work struggle with the idea of how can I network? How can I make connections if I can't offer anything? And I think that example that Miguel suggested about his friend who offered to shovel his driveway Something as simple as that could be a, a way to build value and to reciprocate. So it's a balanced relationship. There's so many things that Miguel mentioned in the conversation, wonderful points that came up about the idea about a mentor, being someone who cares. And I completely agree that working with a mentor or a coach or working with both can accelerate the process of you adjusting to life in Canada or in another culture, because again, it's something that some people think you can just learn through osmosis, but Miguel's example of how it took him about five or six years to get onto things. 
I think is a perfect illustration of if you're doing it just through trial and error, you really could lose out and slow your process. And Miguel has been quite successful now because he's now learning with intention. With that, let's take a look at next week, which is, of course, part two of this fantastic conversation with Miguel coming up. Wednesday, November 8th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Some of the things that we'll be talking about are helping others, how Miguel is committed to helping others navigate their own journeys more efficiently and how he founded Unstoppable Me and Thrive Faster, which are organizations that provide mentorship programs and training to help people find jobs faster. Also navigating the Canadian market. Miguel shares his five-step approach for newcomers to navigate the Canadian job market and the importance of negotiation and how Miguel encourages newcomers not to leave money on the table and to negotiate for better offers. So be sure to check that out November 8th at the usual time, 12 p.m. Eastern. So until then, keep navigating your way between cultures towards your goals. <music> <music>